Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. A million little choices. We likely don't consider every decision we make to be an earth-shattering, groundbreaking moment. Your lunch plans today likely aren't going to rank on your list of the 10 most significant moments in your life. I said likely. There's always a possibility. At the same time, we cannot negate the significance of our decisions on a daily basis, perhaps even an hourly basis. Your lunch plans may not be all that significant, all that earth-shattering today, unless, of course, you make the choice to share the gospel with your server and tip well if you do, or to cover the meal of someone who looks like they could use an act of kindness today. Suddenly, your mundane lunch decision takes on significance that's far beyond your current appetites. You know, our journey through Moses' life is coming close to an end. We move today into the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to a new generation of Israelites. All of the adults who had all the memories of being enslaved in Egypt, they've all passed away. And now Moses meets with this new generation, reestablishes the covenant with them, and gives them their instructions before crossing the Jordan and entering into the promised land. Deuteronomy means second law. And so much of what is shared in Deuteronomy is, is a repeat of information previously revealed, laws and requirements previously established. However, this is for a new generation. And it's an important reminder for us today that we need to constantly be reaffirming our faith for subsequent generations. What's interesting today is, is that Moses relates everything to choices, major choices that are ultimately a matter of life and death. However, these life and death choices come down to a simple matter of obedience or disobedience. For these Israelites, obedience was tied to God's blessings. And disobedience was, of course, tied to the removal of God's blessings, known as a curse in the book of Deuteronomy. Under the New Covenant, we may not be as familiar with those terms, blessing or cursing, but I think that we will find the principles to be very similar. This morning we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 30 for most of our time, and I would ask you to turn there. And if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 30 today, beginning in verse 11. Deuteronomy 30, chapter, or chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? 
neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. May we apply it to our lives today correctly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Matters of life and death, obedience and disobedience, blessings and cursings. We approach the text today and we're looking at our own lives, wondering what in the world we need to think about in terms of our own obedience and disobedience. And the first thing we need to grasp today that's so very important for us to adequately understand this text is this. God is always worthy of our obedience. God is always worthy of our obedience. If you go back to Genesis chapter or Exodus chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 29, we'll get there. Just pick one of the five. Back in verse 2. Look what Moses says here. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and to all his land. The great trials your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. God is very clear here that he has been faithful to this nation. He has cared for them providentially over the last generation. As Moses renews the covenant with this new generation, he is reminding them of God's care for them. We see this scattered throughout the story of God's constant faithfulness to these people. But in these verses, we're reminded of their divine deliverance from Egypt. Moses reminds them, look in the mirror. Look at yourself. You'll see your clothes haven't worn out. Your shoes haven't worn out. For 40 years, through the wilderness, God not only fed them daily, he preserved them daily. He's so very different 
from the false gods of the land that they were about to enter into. Those gods had no power to save. They had no power to provide. They had no power to care. Pursuing false gods would result in worn-out clothes and worn-out shoes. But the faithful God of Israel preserved his people. At every corner, at every turn, God proved himself to be all-powerful, all-compassionate. He proved himself to be just. There's no comparison to the false gods that Moses was warning the people about. Moses knew that they were about to be confronted with a whole host of idols and false religions. But he wanted them to understand that those idols didn't hold a candle to the Lord who had walked with them every step of the way from Goshen in Egypt to the plains of Moab just outside of Jericho. Each and every single day, he provided them with a visible manifestation of his presence through the smoke and the fire, a visible manifestation of his care as he provided for them food daily. It blows my mind to think this is the same God who is at work in our lives each and every single day. You know, we read this, these stories, we read this testimony in the Scripture, and we think, what a way to be alive in those days, to see the manna, to see the smoke and the fire. Listen to me, church, he's alive and well today, and he lives in us. We're confronted daily with that reality. At the same time, we're confronted daily with the siren song of a depraved world that offers us great things. Man, the world makes all kinds of promises, doesn't it? Makes all kinds of promises, but listen, they're promises that it can't keep. At the end of the day, all the promises that are made are simply empty words. Yet when we look to the Lord, we see He has been faithful to generation after generation. He's been faithful to you. He's been faithful to me. His testimony is true. He's always faithful. We can see His hand at work in time and space. We can see that our redemption has been secured through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not some unjust ruler who oppresses his subjects. He is a loving king who knows that it is in our best interest to follow his, his instruction. God is always worthy of our obedience. Next, we see God's blessing is tied to obe obedience. Look at chapter 30, verse 16 again. Here it says, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. You know, when we think about the idea of blessing... We tend to think of almost specific, measurable concepts. If someone were to tell you about a, a financial blessing, well, that's a blessing you can count, right? It's, it, it'll go on a spreadsheet. When you think about a health blessing, somebody says, oh, I, I was blessed today in, at the doctor's office. We think of something that you can measure, something that you can, you can quantify. Even the old hymn challenges us. Count your many blessings, 
Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. But blessings don't always have to be measurable. For example, the blessings that come from obedience to God's commands aren't always measurable blessings. Imagine, if you will, living in a society that perfectly keeps only the Ten Commandments. Well, you could even boil that down to the great commandments that the Lord Jesus gave us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But imagine visiting a place where those, that society perfectly keeps all of God's commands, the Ten Commandments. You would consider such a place blessed, right? A, a place where everyone always keeps the commandments, a place where there was no idolatry, a place where no one was ever killed or lied to or, or coveted. Imagine a place where everyone kept the Sabbath. Your doors would never have to be locked because no one ever considered stealing. There would be no places that you couldn't go because there was no killing, no threat of assault, no one getting mugged, no one getting carjacked. Imagine such a place. Now, I, I believe a place does exist. It's got a name. It's called heaven. But imagine if we could visit such a place in, in the world today. We would certainly say such a place is blessed even if we were unable to count the blessings and measure the blessings because the blessings are secured simply through obedience to God's instructions. God promises the nation here that he would bless them for their obedience. They would not experience, uh, they would experience life as a result of their decisions, not death. You read a list of some of the blessings back in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. But what it comes down to is simple daily choices to honor God with our decisions and watching God bless the consequences of those decisions. I firmly believe one of the greatest examples of that today is a corporation called Chick-fil-A. You can't eat there today. They're closed. But listen to this. Chick-fil-A makes more money per restaurant than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined. Per restaurant. You go to Chick-fil-A and you're going to wait in a line somewhere because people are always there, except on Sunday. Years ago, Chick-fil-A decided it would honor God with its business model, and it closes its doors on Sunday so that employees could enjoy a day of rest and worship. They close on one of the busiest days of the week for restaurants. Don't believe me? Come out to lunch after church and you will see just how busy they are today, the restaurants. Yet they sell more per restaurant than all these other quick service giants combined. I think God blessed that decision. I think he continues to bless that decision each and every single week that they choose to be obedient in that regard. Well, if God's blessings are tied to obedience, then the, the inverse of that is the fact that the absence of God's blessing is tied to disobedience. Look at verse 17. He says, But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. 
The opposite of blessing is cursing, and the opposite of obedience is disobedience. And if the thoughts of a place where obedience is consistent almost seems like some kind of unimaginable utopia, then I imagine you're going to have a much easier time imagining a place where disobedience runs rampant. Consider, if you will, a society where violating the Ten Commandments is the norm. A place where people pursue all sorts of godless idols. A place where murder and adultery and dishonesty and theft are always present. It's pretty easy to imagine such a place. Why? Because we live there now. We see the consequences of living in such a place. We see brokenness around every corner. Broken homes, broken lives, broken people. We see myriads of addictions and the sins that fuel those addictions. Look, the, the curse doesn't have to be measurable. It doesn't have to be say, well, this is clearly an, in, an indicator that God has removed his blessing, that he is cursed. Because the cost of disobeying is so very, very steep. You know, here's the thing. We tend to think of a curse as some sort of active judgment against wrongdoers. Now, God has done that in the past. We see that in the Word. We see that happening. He sent fire and brimstone from heaven. He sent hail and pestilence and plagues. He's opened the earth to swallow the rebellious. But we don't need to look for God's wrath in those ways. Because God's wrath can be poured out upon unbelievers by simply allowing sin to run its course. And when sin runs its course, we can find ourselves absolutely cursed by God. If you keep a finger in Deuteronomy 30, you can flip over briefly to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen.
the apostle, the apostle spoke of God's wrath against the unrighteous. But notice how God shows his wrath. By simply allowing the full-blown consequences of disobedience to take effect. Paul reminds us that the cost of idolatry is high. Instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship the creation. And the curse isn't always fire and brimstone. The curse can simply be allowing sin to run its course. If you read Romans 1 in the context of our modern secular age, we've done as a society exactly what Romans 1 warns us about. We've done as a culture exactly what Paul said we would do. We've turned from the worship of our Creator God and we have supplanted Him with all kinds of idols and false religions. Not only do we replace Him, we actively teach in our civilization that there is no Creator. We are simply highly evolved animals with no divine sense of morality whatsoever. So it shouldn't surprise us to see that God has given us up to the lusts of our heart by simply turning us over to our own desires, we find why our disobedience leads to death. James, in James chapter 1, verse 14, spells this out clearly. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You see, when it comes to obedience and disobedience, it truly is a matter of life and death. Here's the thing, we hear this, it can be overwhelming. But consider what God said to his people. Go back to Deuteronomy 30, back to the first part of what I read, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. What's he saying? God hasn't put obedience out of reach. God has always made his expectations very clear to us. He has never not made his desires known to us. You think about it. In Eden, Adam and Eve had a very simple set of instructions, right? Very simple commands that God gave them. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't lengthy. It was very, very simple. 
When did they get into trouble? When they started believing that God was hiding something from them. Isn't that the temptation that Satan set before them? Uh, you're missing something. He didn't tell you everything. When you eat it, you'll become like him. They got into trouble when they thought God was hiding from them. In the law, God made his expectations very clear. No more, no less. And when Jesus came onto the scene and he began to rebuke the Pharisees, why was he rebuking the Pharisees? Because they were keeping the law? No. He rebuked the Pharisees because they, they added to the law. They, they added things that God did not say. They made it more complicated than it needed to be. Believing that God was keeping something from them. When God was preparing to judge the people, what did he do? He well, sent a prophet to warn them, to prepare them. Even when he was getting ready to judge the Ninevites, what happened? Along came Jonah with a message of repentance and a generation of Assyrians were saved. Now all this is said in contrast with the cults and the idolatrous religions. In those religions, people had to search out the gods and attempt to discern their whims. Oh, there's a drought. What have we done to offend the gods? There's a flood. What have we done to offend the gods? They try to figure out the gods because the gods did not make their will known. But the Lord God Almighty, He's made His will known. He's, he's made it clear to us. He wants us to obey him. Here are the rules. Here's the parameters. Here's the instructions. You don't have to fly to heaven or swim across the ocean. It's near. It's in our hearts. It's on our lips. And under the new covenant, this was even more the case. You see, it would be unjust for God to judge us for laws that we do not know. And so God has made his law known both in nature and in revelation. There are parts of God's law that we intuitively know. That's revealed because we are created in his image and likeness. There are certain parts of us that understand intuitively who God is and what he wants from us. But he's also made it clear to us in the revealed word. His expectations are always clear. And he's made it clear enough but the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 that all men are without excuse when it comes to seeking him out. So what's the, what's the bottom line for us today? Jesus said it about as plainly as it can be said in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands if you love me keep my commands seven simple words summarized by the lord jesus christ listen we're not saved by works we're not saved by keeping the law we're not saved by making sure that we've done enough good things we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of the grace that we have received, we reciprocate that grace by our willing obedience to Christ. This is the wonderful thing about the new covenant that our lost and dying world 
absolutely misses. We live today as Jesus followers, and we are obedient to Jesus, and we recognize that our obedience to Jesus is indeed a blessing because it is through our obedience that we make clear our love to him. That's how I show Jesus I love him. I do what he says. Every day, all day, when I wake up, when I go to bed, when I deal with the people in my life, when I deal with the people who frustrate me, I show Jesus I love him by doing what he says. The end. When it's hard, I do what he says. When it's easy, I do what he says. I show Jesus I love him. Keeping his commands. This morning I'd ask you the question How are you doing when it comes to obedience? As you look at your life, does it today reflect the life of someone who loves the Lord? If someone who didn't know you had full access, to all your decisions, all your choices, would they conclude after evaluating that list that you love the Lord? I'll be honest. If they looked at my list, they'd probably find some blips on the radar. They'd probably find some places where I haven't been obedient. Find some places where I haven't done the right thing every single time. And what that says, does it say I don't love the Lord? No. But it does say there's work that needs to be done. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us who are in Christ, we're in a process. And that process is being worked out day after day after day after day after day until one day that process is finished and we stand before the Lord completely covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because if we weren't covered by his blood, we wouldn't be able to stand. But day after day after day, he is working and he is working on me and in me and I pray that he is working through me. But my goal should be that today I'm doing better than I was yesterday and that tomorrow I'm doing better than I did today. Why? Because it'll save me? Nope. Because I'm saved already. And by those choices, each and every single day, I offer them as a body to the Lord. I say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. And this is the best way that I have to show that love. By keeping his commands. Remember, God is not far off. His commands are not far off. He is very near and he's made his desires for each and every single one of us so very clear. Can we show our love for him by keeping those commands? Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. 
We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.